years. What technology do they use? And I'm like, that is the wrong question, right? I hope that you get from this, it's about culture, it's about leadership, it's about caring, it's about talent, it's about owning the customer experience. And to that end, I want to now ask us to think about how do we get ready for that supply chain reset? How do we embrace digital analytics, being sure that we can listen to what's happening in the market, reduce latency. And so yesterday I talked about the need for the clear definition of excellence. I hope you got some of that from the supply chain to admire. We talked about the need for the design of the supply chain. We're going to have two case studies on design so you can get a feel for what that looks like. Build effective networks. Loved what Ashley said about going and understanding what the supplier's issues were, working on optionality, implement outside-in planning, use those signals, invest in new forms of analytics, which is what we're going to talk about this afternoon, eliminate complexity, and train, 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 keep on training, build learning organizations. But you know, this thing about analytics, right? It's hard stuff. And I'm going to take you to a video that I did in 2016 when people in 2016 were thinking about 2025 and the use of analytics. If we can play the video where people are talking about what are our challenges in analytics. the physical transformation of raw materials. The opportunity is obviously to share information faster across, to have access to that information and to make more informed decisions that truly optimize the supply chain. And I think the opportunity is it's a win-win for everybody. The more transparent we are with our data, the more we all work off the one source of truth, the better we're all, we're all going to win. The opportunity of the digital supply chain is clarity of information without human bias. We see new technologies that enable even the quicker, faster implementation of those. The opportunities are around using the data in a novel way to make better business decisions. The challenges are really around educating people as to the benefits and the value of doing that. The challenge is, are we willing to share that information across? We're just not very trusting as humans. We don't want to share data, we don't want to be transparent. The challenges are really mobilizing the organization behind it. It's about your leadership, your people, and the processes to be able to pull together to deliver on that. The challenge is the right information to the right people to get the right decisions made. We're making sure that uh, the traditional view does not impede from moving to the next digital era. For 35 years, we've done it the same way. And what's coming is, a, is just a wave of change we have to be ready for. The change. Change always excites me and changes opportunities and everything that stands still is boring. The movement of the parts. Everything wakes me up in the morning excited about the movement of the parts of the supply chain. What excites me about it is that I see that everybody uh, understands the opportunity of it and there's willingness to work together. See, what excites me is, is if we all work together with the one source of truth and we all win. For me, what is exciting is that we are creating the future. The possibility is endless. 
the information that you get is tremendous. It can inform your strategy, get you to be proactive, and offer value above and beyond what we did today. That was 2016. No one in 2016 could have imagined what happened in 2020. Only three of those speakers are still working in supply chain. They retired, they went to do something else, and I'm gonna talk about how our job is not done. When Jane was talking about transparency and we're just not willing to share information, that's a huge issue. You know, when Kevin talked about empathy and helping people to belong, it's a huge piece of this. But, you know, we talk about supply chain like your supply chain's like my supply chain versus their supply chain. But in the research that we did was how do you define supply chain? Look at this. Very different. Yeah, transportation, 85%. Sometimes logistics is supply chain. We talk about customer centricity, 63% of supply chains have order management reporting. A new function is supply chain finance reporting into supply chain. Everyone has a slightly different supply chain. Contract manufacturing is very interesting to me because in this study, 32% of the manufacturing was outsourced. You know that outsourced manufacturing is typically only tethered by Excel spreadsheets. It's an issue of latency. Corporate social responsibility is starting to report into the supply chain. But this is data that really bothers me. What happened to supply chain innovation? I've been an industry analyst for two decades. And in 2006, I did a study on innovation, and I ask, how willing are you to try a new technology? And at that point in time, I had a bell curve. I had an equal number of early adopters and late adopters. Look at what's happening in this skewed distribution, right? People are less and less likely to try new technologies and new approaches. What they want is a fixed ROI. They're not willing to go and test new technologies. So we're implementing yesterday's technologies and yesterday's processes, even though they don't fit, over and over and over and over again. Now, these people that are the first to try new technologies, 3%, they're hard to find, right? It's hard to have the courage to try something that does not have a well-defined return on investment, but it needs to happen, right? And that's one of the reasons why I do this conference. It's one of the reasons why I write the blog. It's one of the reasons why I do the podcast. It's one of the reasons why I drove the Project Zebra work on outside-in innovation. It's one of the reasons why I answer every LinkedIn message and help people out. Technology is not the sole answer, but I can't take advantage of new technology if I'm not willing to try it. And I don't get there by putting an RFP in the market. I don't get there by not educating my people. I don't get there by not embracing new technology. But let's look at the understanding, right? When I ask people, how familiar are you personally with these terms? Green is not at all familiar. Light green is not very familiar, and then blue is very familiar. Deep learning, right? Apache Spark, Hadoop, Graph, Ontology, Blockchain, Sentiment Analysis, 
probabilistic forecasting, fuzzy logic, Python, R, NoSQL. What do you take from that slide? We don't know very much about these new forms of analytics, right? Why is that? Why are we implementing old-fashioned transactional systems and old-fashioned advanced planning systems without embracing the art of the possible that comes through 80% of the data that's not used in the supply chain? Why is this? I'm going to float some mics. We've got a little time. Why is it that we're not embracing these new concepts in analytics? What do you think, Dina? I think people feel like it's overwhelming. There's so many They feel like it's overwhelming. They don't know where to start. Christine, why do you think it? I think supply chain professionals are so busy firefighting and working on the day-to-day -day that they don't have a moment to take a step back and, and really kind of look into what some of these new technologies are and, and how it might benefit their supply chain. So firefighting, they don't have time to learn. Yeah, Bill. One thing that we've seen is people unwilling to take big steps when they can't explain why they failed. Oh, How that's you wonderful. That you know the fuzzy logic was errant, or my probability in my five scenarios was 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 off. Uh huh. Um, so think spreadsheets are explicable. So how do we get at that, Bill? If you tell me, I appreciate it. <laughs> um, well, I to, to be honest, uh, I mean, there's, there's this construct of XAI or explicable AI. And as solutions providers, we need to, I think, step back a little bit in our ambition and take sort of a, uh, a moderate path and step forward in ways that people can understand, which won't give you everything that a recurrent neural network is going to give you, but it will be explicable. Um, well, so I'll tell you an interesting story. I was working with a chief digital officer who was brilliant, and he said, Laura, I want you to go teach my organization to fail. I'm like, what? I want you to help them to feel comfortable to fail in their own shoes. And what I mean by that is I want them to press the capabilities of the technology to the point that they fail, and I want you to celebrate it. Because you learn innovation through failure, and we only want to really talk about success. So I think part of it is leadership. So I took the marching orders, and I went to the supply chain team, and I said, we're going to test this. And there's probably 95% chance we're going to fail, but our learnings are our success. And we're chartered to go do this. And I had such a hard time building trust in that team that it was OK to fail. And I think we can't move forward on these new forms of analytics unless we set the environment that it's okay to test and learn, it's okay to fail. We have this view of our projects have to be this project plan with this technology that we implement that has this fixed ROI, and we're putting in technology without building capability. So I don't know if that helps you, Bill, but that's my observation. What else? Yeah, Peter, yes. Yeah, uh-huh, yeah, microphone, Regina. Why is it that we don't really understand these things? Because it's got great opportunity, right? Yeah. Um, I find that the knowledge is very um, isolated. And so planners only know about planning. Um, people in logistics only know about logistics. And if we're thinking about improving the whole, 
Um, the, there's a lot of explanation to do every time. What technology can help with what function and how it can help another function. I was listening yesterday to um, um, like an experiment that has been done um, on, on demand planning and then the results were great, but then they had to start very hard work, you know, convincing that it could have an impact on procurement, could have an impact on... So, very fast when you go outside of a function, nobody understands it anymore, you know, that's my observation. Well, I think one of the difficulties is people struggle to ask the tough questions when they don't know, like, if I ask what Hadoop is, I'm going to show that, you know, I'm ignorant, right? But the other thing, and Alison Fowler this afternoon is going to talk about the implementation of the digital twin at Medtronic, and she believes that it's very important to have someone in between a really deep data scientist and a person who's really good at the business to be an interpreter. And it's the interpreting skills, it's the ability to ask the question like, why is a graph better at showing me flow than a relational database? What makes an ontology successful? Why do I want to go with an ontological approach versus going with a relational database? Why is no code, no SQL important? So the ability to ask those questions and interpret the answers is something I don't think we put into the organization. Other thoughts? Just yes. One. I was just thinking and reflecting on the Clorox case where he mentioned that they are currently running a 500 million uh, S4HANA move. Um, and I was thinking, okay, if now somebody comes up with, with, a, with a Python uh, project, um, this is now currently the focus. A lot of companies are having these big ERP moves, technology moves, which requires executive attention and focus on really what's the strategic things to do. And there is no focus or no value-add scene and also these kind of new technologies? Where do they find their place in discussions when talking about strategy? Yeah. So many times the path for large projects steals the oxygen out of an organization, not allowing them to really embrace these new forms of technology. Kishore? I think it's a combination of three things. One was said there's a lot of firefighting happening on one hand. The other one is large programs are sucked off the oxygen. And the third thing is the service provider universe is also guilty of creating these as gizmos. Small gizmos to demonstrate a huge business case by solving a small problem out there. The thing is that leads to more dissonance because it's not solving my problems that I deal with day to day. So I'm not going to waste my interest in all of this stuff because these are all just gizmos to show something as against having a clear path of how you're going to get to the end state, leveraging a combination of these. Well, you know, I do a lot of briefings with technologists. People tend to call me when they have new technology. And I will tell you that I get to hear a lot of gizmo stories, a lot of shiny object stories. And I'm like, walk in the shoes of a supply chain leader and have empathy for the problems that they're solving. Because many times the people that are selling gizmos really don't understand the supply chain problems. So, yes. Yeah, I think it's also the uh, technology obsolescence. Uh, it moves so fast, changes so fast. Yes. The business is not able to keep up with the speed at which technology changes. So I invest a lot of money in something today, and it's already outdated even before it, you know, comes to life. 
So. Right. A lot of our IT strategy is based upon install, maintain, evolve. And what we've got is a disconnect where that model is being broken. And so it's very difficult for people as they are thinking about that evolution. Anybody else got yeah, a thought I, there? Yeah. Uh, I think it's part of it is actually leadership and tone from the top. Uh, I had a previous boss who was always wanted to be prepared for the EC to ask him a question on any of these technologies. He used to read on the train a lot or listen to podcasts, and he would then go and ask his team, oh, what do you think about Hadoop? How can that help in the supply chain? What do you think about deep learning? And so therefore, as a team, we were always wanted not to be caught out either so that we were, were always tried to be a little bit prepared. But that's a culture in the organization. Um, and I think maybe organizations who are industrial or engineering driven or technologists are probably, that's probably much more their culture than uh, other types of organizations. I think that's a great f piece of feedback. But the other thing is I think the structure of the organization to have a place to test the technology and fail. We are so caught up in selling to projects and RFPs that we're wasting a lot of money and a lot of talent and really not able to focus on what the art of the possible could be. And so the art of the possible is let's don't take the supply chain as exists today. Let's think about what the supply chain could be with new processes. And so this is actually where people are spending their money, right? Let's look at this, right? Mainstream adoption, cloud-based technology, yawn, right? Data visualization, yawn, right? Now, look at where we're not spending our money. It's on these new forms of analytics, right? And our technologists are caught up in selling old-fashioned technology over and over again without really thinking about how do we embrace the art of the possible. So let's spend five minutes at your table just talking about this issue and the fact that we have fewer innovators. We have fewer ways that we can test and learn with new technologies. Any insights to share? Let's have five minutes of discussion. Let's wind it down and share. We're going to do ready, fire, aim. Ready, fire, aim is you're going to give me a short answer. Ready, fire, aim. Regina, we're going to do ready, fire, aim, and you're going to run those mics. So, okay, get your roller skates on. Ready, fire, aim. Matthew's ready. Quick answer, Matthew. Unlearn or move on? Unlearn or move on. Quick answer. Don't try to implement in a, in a COE. Don't try to implement in a COE. I've got to ask you why. Because uh, it, it depends on the organization a little bit. But um, unless the COE actually, the COE will then have to try and resell within the organization. 
Yeah, but so, doesn't, doesn't it depend upon the definition of that COE? Because 60% of the COEs are very focused on how do they make the status quo better on standardization, and only about 15% are really embracing new technology. So isn't it about the definition of the COE? Uh, it's about the definition of the COE and where the COE fits in the organization as okay. well. Okay, okay, I like that better, okay. COE is the center of excellence. And sometimes people have supply chain centers of excellence and analytic centers of excellence, and so we got dueling heads. Okay, insights, Dina. Um, yeah, we had a conversation about um, there's a latency in some of adopting some of the newer technologies because people are waiting for that one throat to choke, maybe their ERP vendor or some of their big partners to catch up and, and throw it in there, make life easier. I think that overwhelming of just trying to get your arms around everything is, is really slowing people down and they're afraid to splinter and say, let me go check this out in a silo and just see the value. They're really waiting on their big partners to just throw it in and show me the value. And that's such a key concept because the big partners have failed us, right? Remember the days when, you know, no one got fired for buying IBM, right? Well, IBM really was a laggard in the computer market, right? Our major technology partners have failed us on bringing innovation to the market, so those that have focused on IT standardization tend to be on the back foot and I liken this to penguins on an ice cube, or iceberg. Have you ever watched the March of the Penguins? All the penguins stand on the iceberg waiting for the first penguin to jump. And then they look down and they say, did he get eaten by a seal? And that's what I feel like we're all doing. We're like IT standardization. We're all going to be on the same iceberg. We're waiting for somebody to jump to see if they got eaten by the seal. And so what has happened is fewer and fewer companies want to be innovators because they don't want to get eaten, right? We got to make it okay that they can make that jump. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. You like that answer, Dina? Yes, we're seeing more. Okay. Actually, be the second penguin to push the first one off to see how. <laughs> we don't have enough penguins in the supply chain space, huh? Yeah. We look. We look more at the proof of value, which is different from the return on investment. It's a wider concept. You could do them very quickly. Sometimes it's not about implementing technology. It's really a mind space uh, demonstration of proof of value. Trying to get to those quite quickly get buy-in at that level, and then grow them a bit bigger. But you can do some really quick, you know, skilled Einstein, you know, mine experience. Experience. You don't have to spend billions of dollars on a, on a, in a molecule drive. You can just basically, it's a, it's a mine experience. You can explain them. You can visualize. We have the tools to do that. So the proof of value is a much wider concept than the return on investment. Yeah, but it's got to have leadership to execute it. So I'll tell you a story with Annette Clayton of Schneider Electric. So when I first started working with Annette, it was about a decade ago, and she said, I want to help people to embrace new technology, but I don't want to help them to do it in isolation. And like Rick talked about, it's not technology for technology. So I'm going to take my brightest employees that are really high performers, and I'm going to put them into teams, and I'm going to give them a big, hairy, audacious goal, a business problem. And then I'm going to allow them to go invest their time to learn potential approaches and brainstorm potential approaches. And she called it the scuba teams. So she took these teams out of their normal work and she gave them money and she said, go solve this problem. And you're not encumbered by IT standardization. And she also made it a cross-functional diverse team. Young kids like Luke yesterday, 
older guys like me, you know, on the team, challenging each other, going and talking to experts, but being very centered in the problem that they're solving. She had great results. So we're not providing money, we're not providing time, and we're not getting clear on the question we're trying to answer. Many times people are just trying to do technology for technology's sake, but that proof of value. Okay, you're at the mic. Yeah, we talked a little bit about uh, aligning on a current state or establishing a, an aligned baseline uh -huh. uh, so that we understand what problem we're actually trying to solve because I think a lot of times you have different perspectives across the, the various stakeholders, so you have to start there um, because one solution from one group may not be what the other group's looking for. So one of my favorite things to do is to have a cross-functional group to review the past year and brainstorm the data that they have that could solve that problem. I was working with a major cosmetic company and the logistics guy had never talked to the guy in digital marketing, right? And this cosmetics company had great information in digital marketing. So we looked at all the problems they had in 2021 and we had this huge whiteboard and then we brainstormed what was the data that the company had that they weren't using. Well, rating and review data gave a very early indication about a new product launch. Transportation had a huge issue with forecasting a new product launch. So what if we used unstructured data for rating and review data to look at if I should be putting it on a ship, a plane, or a truck, right? And I did alternate routing. And then we had a lot of issues around customer service. What if I mine unstructured text to listen to the signals? And then somebody said, well, what if we fly a drone over the ports? We've got this, you know, aviation department, and we'll take pictures, and we'll look at lead time based upon pictures. They had a great brainstorming. We never get cross-functional teams to talk about the data we have. Most people don't use the data that they have, and they don't know what they have. So any table not contribute? Yes. Okay, hey, so um, we had a lot of discussion about uh, ERP. Okay. Because a number of companies here are investing heavily in, in ERP. Yeah. Uh, my company, we're having that similar debate. I, I think we need to, uh, you know, there's that debate about having the system of record and standards as you're bringing up, Laura. But then when you look at the problem statements, that we have of demand variability very high, supply variability, inability to um, really do good capacity planning, et cetera, come up with those types of insights. What is truly the demand from that end, to end customer? Is ERP gonna get us there? You know, can, I, can I take that 25 or 50 million or a smaller company and use it more proactively in experimenting in these other types of um, uh, analytics and get us to a better place faster versus investing in a multi-year journey down the SAP or S4 or Oracle route. And uh, yes, for us, it's, it's, it's a big deal. That's, that was the debate on our table here. And I'm, I'm leaning more towards getting away from, yes, I understand the system of record, but can we work around that, have a multi-European environment, but have that layer that we can really drive the insights, drive better analysis, better decision making for the leadership who's illiterate in these things that you've been talking about, totally illiterate, you know, that's not a negative, but they're engineers, but educate them 
and then really make that compelling business case or value prop to go a different way in terms of um, our precious resources. It's a good discussion. I think uh, the discussion is what is the right role of ERP in the journey for 2030. You know, Annette Clayton, Schneider Electric, said, I have 120 ERP systems. However, it's too big of an opportunity cost for me to go to a single instance. And she drove great progress with that strategy, right? Because she's like, it's going to be so much of an issue to lose focus, right? At the same time, I've seen organizations that have real issues with data, and they don't understand data, and they don't understand order to cash, procure to pay, effectiveness, right? And that's where we need to start is, how do we get effective on those processes? But the other thing I think we need to come to grips with on outside in is ERP is not the foundation for outside in processes, right? ERP is really good at functional transactions. You gotta do that to go global just like you gotta pay your taxes but it's not going to help you to build the end in. So, good discussions. We gotta wrestle those to the ground. I wanna encourage you at lunch, we have a book signing. It's my blogs that I wrote for the past year. I always give those as gifts. I'm also publishing an e-book of case studies, so the people that presented, I'll try to get them to help me to write a case study. I'll also be writing a case study on Project Zebra and outside-in processes that we're going to talk about today. And I want you to share it in your organization. They're also available on eBooks, and if you want to buy some, I'd be glad to get them for you. But be sure you get a book. If you leave, be sure that you give me your evaluation form. There's extra forms out there. Regina can show you the basket. We take your feedback very seriously. Have a great lunch. See you back in an hour and a half.